Hey, Melody. Hey, Peter. Drew is in Legoland, so he will not be able to join us. Is he on a vacation or is this work related? I assume it's vacation. <laughs> I, I would be really surprised if he managed to get Legoland as something for work. As, uh, I was wondering if he was like a chaperone or something. I don't know if IT do that in high school. Well, sometimes they get desperate. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. Anyway, welcome to How College Works. Today we have a guest. Guest, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Megan. I'm the International Education Coordinator at a college. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There we go. So today's topic is how to study abroad. How to study abroad. I can help with that. Excellent. Because um, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't okay. either. And one of the things I was telling Peter as we were... Um, talking about this podcast was and I tell students this all the time you know as an undergrad my biggest regret is that I didn't study abroad because I thought I didn't have the time or the money or it was going to mess up my degree plan or whatever so I just decided not to do it and I regret that now so I hope this will cause other people <laughs> to at least look into it more than I did because I just assumed a lot of things and I was wrong yeah, I think there are a lot of myths about study abroad that uh, that make students not even look into it or ask about it. Uh, I think we've got a stereotype that travel abroad is very expensive, but when you're a student, you can use financial aid to help you pay for it. So it can be one of the better times to study abroad while you're a student. Plus, at that point in your life, you don't have, most students don't have families, traditional students don't have mortgages yet. So um, as a time to spend a four months or, or a year or nine months abroad, undergraduate is the time to do it. Yeah, you just mentioned that and, and that is impossible for me. There's just no way for me to spend four months abroad. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, I, no, my, not even my remotely. marriage would dissolve. <laughs> <laughs> It would be a the horrible, house would be thing. repossessed. Right. right, all kinds of problems would would occur. Like my son would not know me. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be bad. Well, I think um, I said you can use your financial aid. So students often think there's no way I can study abroad because I don't have the money to do it. But the federal guidelines for usage of financial aid says that federal money needs to be allowed to use for study abroad. So, so there's oh. a, a school can't even tell you that you can't. State uh. and federal funds can be used. And then institutions have their own policy for institutional aid. Some uh -huh. schools let you use it, uh, your full amount of financial aid to go spend a semester abroad. Awesome. Other schools limit it to a percentage or to a maximum. Mm. So like if you had scholarships through like the music program, for example, it's possible that some of the some of that or all of it could potentially go towards study abroad. You're saying to check it out. It could. And beyond that, if you're a U.S. citizen, there are federal scholarships specifically intended to help students study abroad. So if you're a U.S. citizen who's Pell eligible, receives a Pell grant, you can apply for the Gilman Scholarship. They give out about 4,000 scholarships a year that give you up to $5,000 to help pay for a semester or a summer abroad. That's a lot. <laughs> I don't like, I, uh, I, 
I know none of this. Many of the guests we have on, I know some aspect of what they uh -huh. do. This is like, this is, I have, I have done college wrong. I need to go back and do it again. <laughs> well, actually, you were a STEM major, Peter. Yes. STEM is highly underrepresented in study abroad. <gasps> and therefore... And I had Pell Grants. The Gilman Scholarship looks at um, STEM as one of the factors that makes you more competitive. So the Gilman Scholarship is all about getting underrepresented populations to study abroad. So I've squandered my college. You did. Uh, time. You could have been studying physics and like exotic locales in Heidelberg. Mm. Yes. I don't speak German. near the Max Planck. Oh, well, there you just brought up another myth oh, that okay. I can't yes. go abroad because I don't Peter. speak German. I am exactly the appropriate audience for this. <laughs> how many how many ways did I do college wrong? So a, I have no idea. <laughs> no idea that I am I'm a population which is desire for that or that there are grants that are available to me or that I can take my money abroad with me even in state and federal and maybe some of the school. And you can do it in English. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I I'm like old and when I was a student in college 30 years ago, the students who studied abroad were the language students and they would go to France for a semester or a year to get better at French. I was a Russian major. I went to Russia for a semester to get better at Russian. But these days... Wow, 30 years ago you had to go to Russia? Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a whole different podcast. Right, but <laughs> save that one for a different podcast. But these days, study abroad... Uh, you can go and study abroad in France, in Russia, anywhere, and take classes taught in English because English is this global emerging language. And mm -hmm. so German universities want their German students to get good at English. So they teach some of their undergrad and many of their graduate courses in English. And interesting you mentioned Germany <laughs> because Germany has no tuition. What? So you can actually, so wrong. <laughs> depending on what country you choose, you can study abroad and have lower out-of-pocket costs than you do going to a school in the States. So you My did it wrong a lot. Regret. So much regret. So much regret. <laughs> so Megan, I have a question. You mentioned graduate and undergraduate students, and I was thinking as study abroad is purely an undergraduate type thing but are there opportunities for graduate students I'm just curious there are and it a lot of it depends on your home institution because some graduate programs you're getting a certification for something that has to be your classes need to be in the US but have you heard of the Fulbright program yes. sure have. the Fulbright program will fund graduate students for a, a year abroad to be taking classes or doing a research project as a part of your graduate studies, both uh -huh. master's and PhD level. And they fully fund, plus they pay for your insurance, plus after you complete it, you have non-competitive eligibility for government jobs. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, so a... not only did we fail at undergrad, I think we're not doing the grad student thing right either. Yeah, I probably could have. <laughs> well, yeah. lucky for both of you, there are a lot of Fulbright grants for faculty as well. Oh, <laughs> we'll probably mess that up too. <laughs> <laughs> is there, um, this is sort of tangentially related. Fulbright is for 
Oxford or Cambridge? No. Or it's just, is, oh, you're thinking of Rhodes Scholarship. Yes, I'm thinking of Rhodes Scholarship. Uh, that is so what I'm thinking of. There are a whole host of scholarships for students who are graduating uh, with a bachelor's degree to go abroad afterwards for a year. The Rhodes Scholarship is specifically to Oxford, I think. There's another one that is specifically to Irish universities. There's They're very one. competitive. Okay. And okay. Fulbright has two different directions for, for undergrads who are getting their bachelor's degree. They can either go abroad and do a research project somewhere, fully funded, or they also have an English teaching assistant program that's oh. not as competitive as the research grants where you would go and be placed in a school and practice and be an English language teaching assistantship with all your expenses covered for a year. That sounds like maybe even more legit than the like, I'm going to go spend a year like teaching English in Japan or teaching English in like Africa, which some, I'm sure there are plenty of those that are, that are legit and well done, but I get the sense that there are a number of those that are kind of fly by night and kind of shady but if it's like government run if the u.s government run it seems like it's, it's about as legit as you can get i tend to advise students who tell me i couldn't study abroad because i was a physics major or for whatever <laughs> reason it, that might be able to go abroad the year after they graduate that the fulbright mm -hmm. is a great way to get abroad teaching english Peace Corps is another great way to get abroad because mm. you can teach English for a year or you can teach a subject or you can do community development. They are looking for people with a bachelor's degree. They cover all your costs and you get a living stipend. Mm. Fulbright and Peace Corps give you just enough of a living stipend to uh, live at the level of your host country. Okay. Now there's another government program that's the Japanese government called the JET program. Mm -hmm. which is also competitive where you go to Japan and teach English. Okay. You must be under 30. They're allowed to discriminate based on age, <laughs> but there you also get a salary. Yeah. So oh. yeah, you'll be earning $40,000 a year. A couple of our former students, Peter, are, are in the JET program. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I follow them on Instagram. It's pretty cool. From <laughs> Yeah, from your from your institution. Um, I think they were before you came, okay. but I, I filled out paperwork for the JET program specifically, and that student is still teaching in Japan. Because they let you extend, and if yes. everything's going well, why would you give that up? It seems yeah. a wonderful it Looks like she's having a great time. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Nice. So one of the things that I thought as an undergrad was that it would, if I were to study abroad, that it was going to throw me off track in terms of graduation or that that would basically be a throwaway semester and those credits wouldn't transfer and so then i was just extending my time to to get my bachelor's is that true that's definitely not the point <laughs> <laughs> it, um some students have room in their schedule for a whole semester of electives that'll progress them towards their degree just taking elective classes but generally students should be looking for a place a country to go to that has courses taught that they that will progress them towards the degree so if they're a psychology major they want to look for a country with courses in a language they know and a cost of living they can afford that are teaching the same or similar courses to what they would have in the United States, those courses will transfer in. So I shouldn't be, so if I'm, so if I'm majoring in physics, um, I shouldn't be 
considering where I want to study abroad based on like what culture I think is really awesome. And the fact that you love Italian food. Right. Well, oh. right. If I don't speak Italian, but I love Italian food. But you downloaded um, that app. I, I did. Duolingo. Uh, ah. Not a sponsor of this podcast. Uh, so, so it was like, I want to go to Italy because, you know, my great, great aunt is Italian and I can get back to my Italian roots and I'm not considering can I take phys uh, physics courses in English, you know? And so I'm just like, oh, I want to go abroad. I'm just going to, I'll figure it out after now I've just, I've decided that I'm going to Italy. Most, that seems like a bad idea. Yeah, most schools will not approve you to go abroad un until you show that you're going to be taking courses that your advisor has looked at and read the descriptions of and said, yeah, if you take that there, it'll check this off on your list or yeah. it can count as an elective. At most schools, part of the application process is identifying the courses that you're going to take. Now, it's study abroad. So you get 10 courses approved and you get there and only two of them are available because things change and they're unpredictable. And I think if students come to the U.S., they find that we have last minute schedule changes too. That's so fair. it's good if there is some flexibility built in and some some backup courses that are approved before you go so that you have options when you get there. Otherwise I show up to Florence and I can only take one of the five classes and And then you start emailing me and your and advisor yes. and we look at what and else like, is there I, that we yeah, didn't know about. Language, these courses aren't here and, and then I, I end up having to take like thermodynamics in Italian which seems like that would be the worst possible. Yeah. That actually happened to one of my students um, there. They uh, got to Korea and the class was listed on the website as in English and it was like a British literature class, but it turns out it was in Korean and she was like, Oh, I can't hang. <laughs> yeah, She's I like, I so. thought maybe I would be okay. Cause I could read, read the English versions of the text, but uh, no, the class discussion assignments, we were a problem. So we had to find another class that she could take that would then transfer in as something. Mm. And these days, there are so many options because a student could your student could be in Korea and take an online course from the home school. Yeah. That oh. if that happens, depending on the timing of the semesters. Mm -hmm. That's true. So it's probably it's pro I probably shouldn't plan to do my semester abroad in Italy, but take online classes from my home institution. So I'm just doing a ton of asynchronous online and bumming around Florence during the day. That, that seems like it's probably not the way I should do that. It, that wouldn't get approved, I'm guessing. If you pitched it right, it might. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you were checking all the check marks of, I'm getting these classes that progress me towards my degree, I'm enrolled at this school, and you probably need, need, need at least one yeah, class. Yeah, I would need to actually be enrolled in to some To study Italian, Italian. so you want to take beginning Italian here because okay. of your family connections, right. but you know you want to be a physicist, okay. and you can take these online courses in thermodynamics. It, See, this is where it's also possible. where I failed because I dropped out of Italian first semester in Italian. <laughs> Halfway through college. We need to start over. We need to do it. <laughs> it's like, where was my save point? I need to go back. So I speaking of like taking beginning level Italian classes, um, do people ever study abroad to ever like take a bunch of language classes? So I know, for example, uh, we have like intensive English programs here that are sort of pre-collegiate. Mm-hmm. Are there those types of situations? Would that work at all? There are. Those are usually going to be language majors or language minors 
Um, I have a student who's going to go abroad next semester, and she is going to get four semesters of Spanish in one semester because that's pretty much all she's going to do. Yeah, wow. I see. That's intense. It can fulfill if you have if you're out of school with a language requirement. Study abroad can be a great way to knock it all off in one semester. That's true. Huh. It's like grad school level language. <laughs> yeah, and so many of the translate texts now. Right. And so many of the programs have host families. So not only are you in the classroom doing it, you're at home trying to tell your host mom what answer whatever questions she's throwing at you in her language. So I'm allergic to <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh -huh. but on español. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> thank you, thank you. We've exhausted so, my Spanish. Um, at a previous institution that I worked at, uh, not y'all's and not the one I'm currently at, I was actually on the study abroad committee. And that school had some money set aside just to help supplement students um, to study abroad. So like maybe their financial aid didn't cover all of it or their scholarships or whatever. So then they could do like a separate application. Is that a common thing um, at other places? I think it is. Uh, most of the places that I have spoken to or come into contact with at conferences, there is some money specifically for high need students to help them study abroad to kind of level out the playing field. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of avenues is what I'm hearing. If I, if I wasn't sure, I bet I could go and ask and chances are there's some sort of answer to get this done. There is, and I think another thing we should point out is we're talking about spending a semester somewhere, but the majority of study abroad that is done at colleges and universities these days is short-term faculty-led study abroad. So a plastics engineering professor decides that they would like to take students over spring break or during the May semester to Ireland to see jet-injected plastic technology and how it works there. Um, a physics professor takes students to Heidelberg and they visit the Max Planck Institute of whatever that is, thermodynamic, there's several. Yeah, oh. yeah. there's a ton. So like my former colleague who did like a Brit Lit class and then they did like a week or two in, in England looking and going to some of the, the places that were mentioned in the British literature or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that can be a way to study abroad where even if you do have a mortgage and a wife, they might still be there when you get back. <laughs> I, they Julie? were. I, I, I did a week in Italy as part of a, a trip that our institution hosts uh, during spring break. And so they were still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my marriage did not dissolve. It was, uh, it was very manageable. And as I led or helped to lead a couple of different what we call modules, and so it wasn't just because uh, we do it over spring break. It wasn't just, hey, pre-spring break, kid, uh, the students kind of just go, go crazy and do whatever. They, they sign up to do a couple of different like educational things. And so there is, uh, we went to the PD Palace, but they had to like pay attention to stuff and then have things to say about it, about uh, the Medici women, you know, some of which are hanging on the walls in painting form. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that is, and I think that's it's much more manageable. I think probably from everybody's perspective, from yeah. you know the student cost and the logistics and stuff like that. And when it is faculty led, it can be very discipline specific. 
yes. to attract students. Um, and it can be a way to attract majors to your program if they know that your pre-med program every other year goes to Belize with doctors, with a Doctors Without Borders type organization and they get hands-on experience as a volunteer mm -hmm. in that situation. It can be a great way to prepare students for grad school and give them hands-on experience that they couldn't get in the United States. Right, yeah, and there's nothing really beats that sort of on the ground, like learning what is this job actually like, you know, because certainly for me, and I think for, for most students, the, like, I want to be a physicist, I want to be a doctor, I want to be uh, a writer, like, the reality is, is different than what we have in our heads when we go to college, and, and the sooner we have that experience of, like, this is what being a doctor is like, via, you know, Doctors Without Borders, or being an engineer, you know, through whatever that experience is, is, is immensely valuable for helping a student plan, like, where they're going to go, and what they're going to do. Is this really what they want to do? Or mm -hmm. did they sign up to be a dentist, and now they realize they hate teeth? <laughs> <laughs> or their hands are too big. Or their hands, yeah. Just get off, <laughs> put your hands in my tiny mouth, you know, then this, we want to know this sooner rather than later. Interesting. Well, wow. I'm feeling like I'm watching this ship sail into the sunset. I've missed the boat. I will not be able to catch it. You're a faculty member. Plan a faculty-led study abroad. I mean, I'm, try I'm over here thinking it. I'm like, what can I do? <laughs> yeah, something like that. You can go know. to writing centers in England. Hmm. Well, there aren't international writing centers, that's for sure. Although I'm not sure I'd want to go to the ones in England. I mean, I, I don't even know which ones are there, but the ones that are really active, at least on my listserv, are the ones like in India and Indonesia. Right. Go for it. That would be so eye-opening for your students. Yes. I just need how much money? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, as a faculty member, usually you're going to roll your expenses into the cost of the program. Yeah. And then your trick will be to attract 10 or 15 students that want to do it. That will be a trick for sure. But yeah. But then you go for free. Sorry, students. That's true. That's true. But, it, but once you do it once and establish that this is a part of your program at your institution, then it becomes not only... Um, not only exciting for the students that are there, but for prospective students who might be looking at two or three different institutions, but they see that this study abroad program here is really yeah. superior. Yeah, that's certainly something to say is like, just here's our English program, our writing program. And in this writing program, you're gonna go to India. So along those lines, if we're thinking about high school students who are looking at different colleges um, and kind of deciding, obviously going to a place that has your major is important, um, but do you think they should also consider study abroad experience or options and those kinds of things too? I mean, is that for some majors, I know it's really important that they study abroad, like international relations and those kinds of things. But if you know you want to, should that be part of your research for shopping for a college? I think it should be. I think if you know for sure that you want to study abroad, a really important question to be asking as you visit different institutions is, what is your policy on allowing institutional financial aid to be used towards study abroad? Mm -hmm. Because it runs the gamut. Some colleges say, if you want to study abroad, that's on you. 
some colleges say, if you want to study abroad, you get to use all of your aid because we are dedicated to making sure we have globally prepared graduates. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an important question to ask early on because once you're there, you're unlikely to change colleges because of study abroad. But when you're looking at several different, it's a, it can be a factor to take into consideration. So I also know that some colleges and universities have exchange programs with like sister colleges and universities across the globe. Um, is that something to also check out? Because like, for example, I know that the institution that you guys are currently at, um, the English department has some sort of agreement with a college in England. And so like, we'll, tr we'll take the credits back and they'll take our credits and vice versa, if that makes sense. Like a articulation type agreement almost, but not exactly. And that varies by institution. Some institutions are very strict that the only, they have a list of study abroad programs you can choose and you can't go off the list and here are the ones that we approve and these are our exchanges. Some institutions have open door. If you find a program and it fits your needs, just tell us why. And if it's not in a state department level four, do not travel warning country, <laughs> we will yeah. allow you to participate. Um, I think the, a, a great place to look at exchanges is at state schools with low tuition because when it's a bilateral exchange, often you're paying your home school's tuition. Mm -hmm. And I have never heard of a school that doesn't allow you to use your full financial aid on a bilateral exchange because you're going out and paying at home and then yeah. some, someone will come in from that college on yeah, like an exchange. They, it, it doesn't matter to them because they're still getting the tuition. Correct. And then you as a student just pay for your room and board on site. So if you choose a country like South Korea or Costa Rica where the cost of living is lower, again, you may end up your semester net positive saving money on if you had been at your home school. So, I, huh. so when, I, when I'm looking for the exchange programs, looking for exchange programs or sister schools, mm -hmm. this kind of language, and there probably should be a description of what that process, it should be like pretty well-worn. Does that make sense? Yes. Like it's not a like, here's a pie in the sky, it's a possibility, but rather there should, it should be indicated. There's a path. There's a path, it's a known path. And there are probably seniors who have been there the previous year that you can talk to. And, mm -hmm. um, and there are probably connections between the faculty because somehow the exchange got started. Right. Yeah. And sometimes those same exchange schools will host both semester-long study abroad students and short-term faculty-led programs that come to visit that country. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling... Once you have that relationship, it's easier to mm -hmm. expand it and then to build upon the Yeah, process. I need to do more. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Megan, um, I know here at my particular institution, we have a study abroad office and there's usually somebody like you who's kind of in charge of helping students get started. So if I heard this podcast and I was interested, what, what should I do next? Go to your school's home webpage and look for study abroad or international education. Usually it will have some web page that will have a list of the different programs that are out there, maybe some stories of students who are abroad now or have just returned, and email the study abroad coordinator to set up an advising appointment. When you go to your advising appointment, you'll let them know what you're planning on majoring in or if you're undecided, how far along you are, when you're thinking to study abroad. 
it'd be good if you had talked to your advisor about it already so that your advisor was kind of in the loop and could give you some ideas of we don't want you to be off campus junior second semester junior year because that's when you have to take research methods or some other course that's required to take at the school um, and then the study abroad person might also know about summer options and the study abroad advisor will also know about the Gilman scholarship forum on education abroad there are several different um, several different scholarships that are nationwide that can help pay for your pay for your study abroad even if it's in the summer when you can't get financial aid and if you are a Pell Grant recipient and you do six credits in the summer you can even get financial aid in the summer from most schools oh wow okay so step one <laughs> talk to my advisor yes just let your advisor know you're thinking about it okay. because there are some educational programs for example education secondary education mm -hmm. where if you are already a junior you're probably not going to make it abroad for a full semester because the courses are licensed by the state and you're getting a teaching license and there's not a lot of flexibility and you're not going to be able to find those in another country you aren't going to find them in another country accredited right. by the state that you're getting your license and from you're probably getting pretty tight towards the end of that degree but you need to do the practicums and the observations and uh -huh. so you're you're moving in my understanding at, at that point to a situation where like it's Summer. going to be like all the time during the school year just mm -hmm. to get that content knowledge and the number of hours and practice and even then summer is still an option okay yeah. well, okay even right. then you could fit in a summer if you're a freshman if it's your first year and you're going into this education program the answer might be why don't you study abroad second semester freshman year so that you can get your general education and your yeah. um mm -hmm your physical education requirement and do that abroad and transfer that back in and then you'll be back here on campus for the courses that are needed for the accreditation nice. so it sounds like that um, if you're thinking about it you should start asking questions sooner rather than later because second semester of your junior year might not be the best time to try to cram everything in and make it all work that's true and it's so sad because second semester junior year is when you've just had people who were in your class who've come back yeah <laughs> and it gets you thinking why didn't i do that so yes the earlier you start planning the more you can find a place for it to fit in so that it doesn't delay your graduation a semester yeah although i i've had students who've come like their first semester of their junior year and they're like i really want to go abroad next semester can we make it happen and we were actually able to it just we had to really look at the course schedule really look at that university's offerings and think about what was going to transfer i mean it was it was doable um but you know we knew that when she came back that that first semester back she's going to have to take an extra class just to make up for what she was going to miss when she was gone or something and this is why I'm so glad she talked to you first. Yeah. <laughs> because it's the advisors who can see there is a path for this to work or there's not a path for this to work. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it, it is like like you said that research methods class is only offered in the spring. And so maybe you're gonna have to study abroad in the fall. And so knowing that is like your like that's what your advisor's job is. Like they know when those classes are happening and that kind of stuff. And once you once a student knows that and they come to a study abroad advisor, given that information, a study abroad advisor is in a much better position to look for programs that have what they need, because I know about hundreds of programs, far more programs than a student's gonna be able to find. 
Mm. Right. Yeah. And then be able to sift through those to find the ones that like, oh, and say these will fit what you need. This looks good, but it's probably not gonna be what you want. So Megan, what's the application process like? Like is it like really tedious? Is there a lot that students have to do? What is it? What is it like? It differs apply? at it differs at different institutions. Unfortunately, there's an awful lot of risk management involved in study abroad anymore and waivers and um, warning students that if they go abroad and there's some sort of crisis and they have to be evacuated that those credits may or may not be able to be worked out. So there, there's a lot of pointing out that study abroad is not a guarantee, but it usually works and you mm -hmm. should try it but you should have a backup plan in case it doesn't. So they'll give me their emergency contacts, they'll give me their um, program choice, and then I will, what's their GPA? Because most programs have a minimum GPA of 2.5 or 3.0, um, and I will check their disciplinary history with our disciplinary department and say, is there any reason the student shouldn't be able to study abroad? And then at the school, at the school approval is usually, simpler because they will also bring me a list of courses that their advisor has said if she takes this 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 and this that will transfer back this way so i'm counting on the advisor to have figured that out and i'm just saying great you are approved but <laughs> then she needs to apply to the partner institution okay the partner institution will have a long list of forms that they need to fill out um, showing that they have enough finances showing what classes they want to be in also they may need a visa yeah. to go for a semester to a European country, an American for more than 90 days, an American has to get a visa ahead of time and they have to go in person to the nearest consulate, which may be Chicago or Washington or Los Angeles. And they have to apply in person because they're giving fingerprints. So it's important to, to build that into your timeline because right. it can take a month to get a visa. So, I mean, a lot of these programs have deadlines, right? So they're like, oh, this is due February 15th. So you shouldn't be starting this application process February 1st is what I'm hearing. Correct. <laughs> okay. So how much time should I plan in advance? Um, if I know I want to go is just look coming to meet with you after I've talked to my advisor in the fall, knowing that I want to go in the spring, or should I like maybe even look a year out? What's the best advice? It doesn't hurt to go early and to talk to your study abroad advisor early. So you'll be on their radar. So when there's an announcement that the Gilman scholarship for the next academic year is open now, um, you'll, they might remember you and send you that email. Um, the last, the latest you should go is the beginning of the semester before you want to leave. Okay. Now, if it's a short-term faculty-led study abroad, you may be able to just talk to that faculty. He may still be recruiting a month before he's leaving and, and have a possibility to add a person or two because those are more controlled. You know exactly what classes you're taking. You're enrolled at your home school for those credits. Although my experience, that's probably true in your, your yeah, yeah. Uh, in my ex experience and the stuff that I that I have seen is often those are determined more than a month out. And so my previous institution, we had a January term, a J term, mm -hmm. uh, and that some of them, it's all supposed to be experiential learning, supposed to do stuff as opposed to just sit in a classroom. Some of them were domestic, some of them were on campus, and some of them were like, we're gonna go hike up Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. ah. 
but those usually were determined like at the start of the fall semester. And then there was applications and then interviews. So probably mid, mid fall semester of that institution, if you're going to Kilimanjaro, uh-huh. you knew. You knew it. Because yeah. you need your yellow fever vaccine. Right. <laughs> and well, that takes six weeks to thing, kick right? in. Yeah. 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 Uh, and you need to get the visa uh-huh. and you need, uh, for them, they needed to like, they would spend every weekend walking around town because you are mm. not going to come from sitting on my butt for an entire semester to hiking up Kilimanjaro without any, like, we need the couch to 5K. So <laughs> process in here. That was part like, of the class, couch to 5K. Yeah, basically, you know, and then you're going to, you know, otherwise you're going to leave me like dying halfway up Kilimanjaro. Yeah, we'll, like, we'll come back for you, Peter, bye. <laughs> That's right, on the way back down, they'll come collect me. Uh, and so, it was so tough often, to go all the way there and not be able to get to the top. Yeah. And, and here at this institution, there's, I mean, just for expectations for students that you, know, you may have a situation where yes, a month before you can, you can jump on and get everything squared away. Here for the, uh, for the spring break classes uh, that, that they're going for those trips, they're already, they have to enroll in a course this semester mm-hmm. for the first half of the semester. Uh, so you, you know where you're going before the semester starts so that you can be taking those classes about like the culture and like what you need to know and what you should be aware of. So you don't end up like for me showing up in Italy and being a real pain in the butt to the Italians because you don't know like Italian culture and expectations. Um, And sometimes the short-term faculty leads will have a date by which they need to decide, uh do they have enough students to run it or not? And it'll be canceled if they've only got seven people interested by mid-semester before it's supposed to go. So it's more, if if it's definitely going, sometimes you can latch on late to those. Mm -hmm. Now, for semesters, though, too, there are countries where the semester doesn't start until March, the spring Uh semester. So, or Argentina, where it starts in February, or Germany, where it starts in March. So, you could theoretically, if something happened to your first study abroad choice, for example, there was a plague in China and you couldn't go there this semester. For example. At the last minute, some programs will be able to fit you in um, at the last minute in that situation because the academic calendars are staggered and start later. Right. But you will be making an emergency drive to, to Chicago for your other visa. <laughs> but yeah. Right. right. Well, and, and if you're like, I just really need to be in China because I love Chinese culture, that's A, that's not a good reason to study abroad right we want we want the classes and progressing towards your degree and so if you're all like well china's out argentina if you're all like i can't do argentina because it's not china's like maybe you're doing this for the wrong reason uh because argentina can get you on degree progression and it doesn't have your plague (laughs) the timeline is sorry china yeah sorry china this will be so outdated by the time you get it posted no one's gonna know what we're talking about Fair. Maybe, I'm just kidding. I, I hope that's it. true. That would be lovely. Yes. <laughs> Anything else? I think we've actually covered a, a bunch of the stuff that I was like. I mean, I was transported back to my 20 year old self and was really channeling all of my questions from that time. You did a fantastic job, Melody. <laughs> I, think we got, I think we got most of the myths. It can be affordable. You can do it in English. It does not necessarily delay your college graduation. Mm. And start, start, not for the myth, but like advice, like start early because 
I can't hurt, right? It doesn't mean like talking to your advisor, like, hey, I think I want to study abroad my sophomore year doesn't mm -hmm. commit you to it if that turns out to be something you don't want to do. But it does allow you then to go talk with your international education coordinator and say, I'm thinking about studying abroad in physics in the spring of my sophomore year. Here are the classes, kinds of classes that I would need. And they can start working on that as opposed to showing up halfway through the fall and be like, hey, I want to study abroad next semester. And your answer is probably going to be, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Every school has deadlines. At this particular school, it's um, February 15th is the deadline to go in the in the fall and it's September 15th to go in the spring. Which is right at the start. Yeah, it's pretty early on. You do want to have thought about it ahead of time. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Wow, I feel like I learned a lot today. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to have to like revisit this in, you know, 10, 15 years and then advise my son <laughs> with a bunch yeah. of outdated information, which is probably still pretty good. Well, but we advise students all the time. So it's nice to have this information so that we're... That is true. I am much better. This less than one hour, I am much better prepared for advising my advisees about this. Yes. Thank you, Megan. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> good. Great. I'm trying to think of one more thing, which is you talked about just going abroad and taking courses for fun. And if a student is self-funded, there's really no problem with that. They can take a leave of absence from their school. They can go study cuisine in Italy and not take a single course that progresses them towards the degree and graduate later and come back and continue. But if a student is using financial aid, the restrictions on the financial aid is they need to be making progress towards their degree. That makes sense. I don't know. That's it's nice. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. That's yeah, a good point. Good point. That you have strings attached if you're having if you're using somebody else's money, there are strings, there are always strings attached. Yeah, I tell students you can't just go take underwater basket weaving unless you're paying your own way. Or, or unless that is your actual degree. Correct. Right, right. right. If, if you're majoring basket in basket weaving, then underwater basket weaving is a new dimension that we don't have at this school, and yes. it would be a great idea for your study. You have to go abroad for that. There's no choice. If I'm majoring in textiles, I might be able to finagle mm -hmm. that one. Huh? Maybe. You but might. Yes. But yes. Well, and it, a lot of it depends on the advisors because we count on the advisors to say, yes, this is close enough or no, yeah. that is not close enough. And I have dealt with advisors who are like, no, they have to take exactly a course called managerial accounting while they're abroad. And I have dealt with advisors who say, you know, if, and if anthropology is anywhere in the name, we can count it. Yeah. Right, right. I think that's, that's kind of how we were. We're like, oh, some sort of literature, we can mm -hmm. count this as internet, you know, or as uh global literature or something right or like we can figure it out yeah i mean that's something that which i which i think is not necessarily apparent all the time is that <clears throat> the people who at some level look like they're making the decisions your international education coordinator who's going to like sign the papers and say they're ready don't really have the expertise to make the call for many of these you know subject specific things and so we rely on the experts like it's similar for like the registrar it's like does this class count technically it's the registrar that stamps yeah. that yes or no but he doesn't know so he's going to come talk to me and then i say and then he just does whatever i tell him right and so <laughs> in that case you know so it's it really is a, a lot of communication between you know the coordinators and the advisors 
Um, and especially if you have an advisor within your major as opposed to sort of a, a generic sort of like academic mm -hmm. advisor from an academic advisor area uh, of the college. But with the academic advisors, I mean, they might have to get some assistance with that. But if you're talking about like gen eds, like going your second semester of your freshman right. year, we don't necessarily need content advisors like me or you to tell them that this English class or writing class or physics class is going to count. Although many of the registrar, right? Well, many schools will have a form where the actual teacher of the department that where that would be taught on this campus signs off to say, yes, that will count. Oh, okay. Different schools deal with it differently, but as much as possible, as an international education coordinator, I leave the academic stuff to the academic people. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Which seems only fair. I leave the international education stuff to you. Like, you don't want me <laughs> yeah, messing around gonna, with that. I'm, I'm not going to try to do up. visas and all that. You tell them they can't go because they don't speak German. <laughs> and obviously, I'm wrong. See, this is why this is not my job. <laughs> And Melody would tell them they can't go because they won't graduate on time. You're not going to graduate. You just stay your butt at home. <laughs> Actually, no, I really do feel like that that was one of the opportunities that I missed as an undergraduate. And so I try to at least bring it up as an option. And some students are like, no, I really, that's just not something I'm interested in, which is fine. Um, but other students are like, I didn't even know that was a thing I could do. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> It's a thing. Or, or the process is completely different from what little I was familiar with as a, as a high school student. My sister studied, did, it wasn't really a study abroad. She lived with a family who was, I want to say, from the Netherlands and basically went on their vacation with them through France, like through Rotary, I think it was. Okay. You know, so that's just a very different process, I think than sort of what we're talking about. So it seemed really intimidating and really a big deal, even though it was like, not supposed to be a big deal. I mean, I remember watching some video uh, that was like hyping it up with some kid in Wales and like talking about how he dreamed in Welsh for the first time. And I was like, that's what you gotta do. You gotta be like actually speaking the language and like, cause you know, Welsh is like significantly different than English, you know? And so it was like, that seemed like such a large hurdle to cover, to be, you know, to speak the language, to dream in Welsh, right? To do this or, uh, or that sort of a thing. And, and that it's just a very, it's a different process. It's a very different process. If it seems intimidating, my advice would be find an international student on your campus and talk to the international student because they've already done it. Mm. And they can give you an idea of how much culture shock they're experiencing and just there are some campuses that have friendship programs with their international students where they'll pair buddy programs um, and if you hang out with an international student enough it'll give you an idea of what things that you define as normal that are not necessarily normal once you get beyond your comfort zone and out of the culture right. so i think that can be a way to make it feel more manageable especially if there happens to be some student an international student from a country you are considering studying abroad in mm -hmm. they can give you the inside scoop yes yes go talk to an international student <laughs> a, a fantastic resource of someone right. to understand what the process is like well this has been amazing thank you megan yeah. for with us it has been uh, great and super super informative you're welcome it was fun so listeners, if you have a question, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D, or you can send me an email, peter.o.hyland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com.
Okay, see everybody next week. Bye. Bye.